Welcome to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. In part two of our discussion with Axel Dench, we talk about how he got his role in Star Wars and the sliding doors moment when he had to make the choice between basketball and a career on the silver screen. So a couple of seasons in Europe and yep. then back to Melbourne Tigers in 2007. Yeah, so um, Europe I had an absolute ball over there and I thought I did well enough to keep kind of Portugal is a kind of what you define as a starter league and I was hoping to maybe get to a France Pro B or uh, Italy 3, somewhere there's a minor league where you can kind of still progress and I think I was uh, 28-29 and I think I thought I was in pretty good shape but I didn't want to stay in Portugal again, the money wasn't as good as it could or should have been and um, it was time to to make a change and when I I was over in the States um, playing in a summer league with my agent at the time and um, I got a call from my Australian agent saying that Neil Mottram had exercised his European out clause. Help. Uh, well, they were, and they were looking mm. for a big, so he'd suggested me, and I think someone had just mentioned my name, um, and Al Westhover's coach said, yeah, we're looking at Axel Dench, and my agent jumped on that, and lickety split, they'd, I'd signed a, a three-year deal, and I was kind of home in Melbourne for the first time, living there for, geez, the first time in... Um, Oh, 12 years. Yeah. Three-year deal? Three-year deal that uh, ended up being a, a one-year deal and thanks for your time and move on. So Released at the end of 2007 season to free up player points. To free up player points. Well, you, were, and you were 10, were you? No, I think I was supposed to be a 10 and they... Um, at the start of my first year, they re-evaluated Rashad Tucker from a 10 to an 8, which was a bit ridiculous. He was it was a legit 10. Um, and then I, because I was coming back from Europe, I was an automatically a 10. Um, but compared to the 10 players in Australia, I was, I was not a 10. So they got me down to an 8. And so they kind of snuck in this uh, virtually a super team of talent into uh, the 66 points available. Uh, beaten by the Brisbane Bullets in the finals. Yeah, they were they were an amazing team, and I think Brad Key, Sam McKinnon, he won the MVP that year. Yeah, so they had all their uh, all their superstars firing, and I think Brad Key retired at the end of that season. And funnily enough, he'd he'd left Tigers to uh, to go up there, and I think that was his second year. And I think they they weren't the same team the year before, and just some somehow this team just kind of came together, and they went on a, like a. 20 game win streak and I think we snuck one game off them in the finals but they they deservedly won. So you mentioned Rashad Tucker he was playing that season. He was. And D-Mac was there as well? D-Mac was there he was our point guard Dave Thomas was our two man Chris Anstey um, David Stiff was our four man Stephen Hoare uh, Nate Croswell so I mean a loaded team Tommy Greer who's now in the one of the faces of the NBL and um Friend, friend of mine said that uh, he was disappointed that uh, the Tigers didn't have Matt Ruta playing at that time because he wanted the backcourt to be Stiff Ruta Hawk. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, a sentence that you don't often hear on radio, but yes, that could have been a, that could have been a, an interesting mouthful for the uh, for the courtside announcer. Well. They're the surnames. <laughs> they are indeed. Um, so then it was off to the Adelaide 36ers. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'd at the end of that season, I got married. 
Um, and the Tigers had a China tour on the books. Uh, I think their main sponsor uh, was a Chinese uh, white goods store. Um, and so I got called in for what I thought was uh, a chat to talk about the tour with the rest of the team. And when I got there, I was the only one. And uh, Seamus Peak and Al Westover were sitting in his office and they... What did you think when you walked in and you were the only one? Uh, I was surprised, but uh, I was surprised, but at the same time not surprised. Seamus Peak, uh, if anyone knows him, is a pretty straight shooter. Um, so I didn't think I was going to be having a one-on-one chat to congratulate me on having a great season. Um, so I kind of knew what to expect. And, and I don't know whether they'd done it before, but Seamus was kind of... Later, he's like, we're going in a different direction uh, with the team. They're uh, going shorter. Shorter and faster. And funnily enough, the, the guy that they replaced me with, Martin Mersap, was basically a European me, um, <laughs> who, unfortunately for him, he was injured, so he got let go. Um, but basically, I think Seamus probably wanted me to get all fire and brimstone on him. And I was like, well, you made your decision. I, I'm not going to talk you out of it, so... I wish you the best of luck. What I probably wanted to say was, I think Al Westover, there was talk of him, he'd signed a 10-year deal, he'd won however many championships, and he he was the, the golden coach. And I was like, Al, be be careful, because it could happen to you. Contracts mean nothing in the and NBL. And yeah, two years later, when he when Al had to, uh, when Al kind of lost the, the Chris Anstey's and the, the, the kind of naturally talented players, and he had to kind of coach a team that weren't as uh, weren't as good as what he'd had he, uh, he he got the same treatment and then these things happen that's just basketball so I didn't I didn't take it personally I think it was probably was a, a bit of a personality clash between Al and I um, those things happen and just one season at the Adelaide 36ers yeah so it was a two I had either had a two-year deal up in Townsville or a one year in Adelaide with an option on both sides and my wife was pregnant um, at the time, and we're like, do we want to live in Townsville, which is pretty hot and steamy for the most part, um, or do we want to roll the dice in Adelaide? And in Townsville, I would have been behind Ben Pepper, um, or Adelaide, there was a, a kind of an opening starting centre spot. Um, so I took Adelaide, and I played under Phil Smythe on the national team, and that maybe should have been probably my warning bells, knowing that when I say I played under Phil Smythe, I think I played in, I think I've got about five minutes under Phil. And I think at Adelaide, I went from a starter getting 30 minutes a game for the first few games to by the end, I think one game I got 83 seconds. Um, and what's, what's it like when, when you train just as hard as everybody else and you end up getting 83 seconds? How do, how, how do you feel about that? Oh, you feel... You feel fr- there's anger. There's some people get angry at the coach for making his decisions, and and that's probably a justified kind of response to have because you you are. I remember at the time I think I was thirty one or thirty one or so. And I was in the in my mind I was in the best shape of my career, and in training I thought I would dominate. But Phil Smythe and I, his style of coaching was very passive and I'll be like how can you not see or say something going that's just a glaring error that we're continually making and I remember in one game I uh, were playing a zone defense and it just it wasn't working because the guys weren't rotating the right way and in a free throw situation I called uh, one of my teammates over and I said you are 
handing a player off for no reason. You shouldn't be doing that. Just stay where you are and we'll, we'll, we'll shut this because they've scored three times. And sure enough, he did that and they, we, they stopped scoring. And Phil Smythe was looking at me as I was kind of saying this and I basically turned and I wanted to say, why aren't you doing this? And he looked at me like, why are you coaching instead of me that let me run my team? And we missed out on finals by one game um, and he got let go. But to go from a starter and in being the shape to 83 seconds, I just, I'd see all these things that I like, from both a coaching perspective and a skill perspective, I was just like, I know I can help the situation. It's not even an ego thing. I need to get numbers. I know I can help. Um, and that's, that's just part and parcel of the game. Sometimes you, you get the raw end of the deal. Ever thought of going down the coaching path? I've thought about it. Um, and I think the only probably place I would probably like to do it is over over in the States, probably in the college system. Um, I played Big V for the past seven years and I could probably step into a coaching role there. I think probably the opportunity is there. But it's just, I think I'd probably get frustrated at probably the standard of play. I was happy to play at that, knowing that I'm 41 and no one's looking at me as this beacon of the talent pool. Um, but coaching-wise, I probably have, I'd probably be harder on the players than I probably should be. And I probably, I, w- I don't think I'd, I'd, I'd get too frustrated coaching at that level. And you played with McKinnon Cougars in the Big V? Indeed, indeed. And did I see in the stats that, you had a triple double twice last year. I did. So I was in fact back to back, back to back triple doubles on uh, on the same weekend. So Saturday night came out and um, kind of. Uh, fortunately, I think they were fortunate. The two home game triple doubles. So I was in front of the home crowd and my kids got to see them. So maybe we were wrong. Maybe you peaked late. <laughs> Maybe I did. I'd, I'd never had a triple double until this weekend. I'd, I'd come, I've come, I'd come close, um, but yeah, two triple doubles, and uh, I think I got player of the week for the the big VTV, and someone put a highlight tape together. And it's the first kind of legit highlight tape that's ever existed. So I'd be lying if I said I haven't watched it more than once. So, <laughs> um, so still playing now. No, so this big V, or this past big V season, um, it was almost uh, almost an Adelaide situation where I went from a starter to only getting a couple of minutes a game. And was Phil Smith there as well? Ah, uh, no, maybe he was uh, just lurking in the background. So we had a, a new coach um, and half a new team, and um, I think the the way the coach wanted to play it was fast and up and in, and I wasn't part of that. So that was one of those situations where I, I, I did all the the same things that had probably earned me a, a triple-double the, the season before, but um, I just didn't didn't have the same role on this team. So I've uh, I've parked the semi-professional career, and I'm just playing midweek basketball. So I had my first game last weekend for Vintage Solway. I'll do a little shout-out for Vintage Solway on a Thursday night at Waverley. So we our team ages varies from 55 years old down to uh, 18. So we've had a nice spread of talent. And was there a win? There was a win. There was a win, yeah. Well, you so. keep chalking those up. <laughs> yeah. Well, no story about you, Axel, would be complete without talking about your illustrious film career. Yes, yeah. So how did playing the part of Meru Meru come about? So I was with the Wollongong Hawks, um, and in the off-season before my last year, so in 
I think at the start of um, mid-2003, they uh, put a casting call out to all basketball teams in New South Wales. So I got this uh, message from the receptionist at Wollongong saying, uh, there's a movie being made up in up at Fox Studios. It's science fiction something. Um, they, they were looking for people over 6 foot 10, so give this person a call and they'll they'll tell you where to go so i called this casting agent and they said i'll come up to fox studios we want to we want to interview you make sure you're over six foot ten so the next weekend i drove up and i'm a huge movie buff and i'd always wanted to be in a movie and i was just like i could be the henchman that gets killed a dozen times and i'll still be excited because it's a movie um so i park and there are these big kind of hangers that um that are dotted around Fox Studios and I walk in the door and as I'm walking in this uh, kind of diminutive woman walks out she says oh are you Axel Dench and I was like oh I am are you so and so and she's like no I'm not actually my name's uh, Narissa Box um, we're actually cousins or second distant cousins I'm like oh my god and so I had a little reminisce she's like are you are you over 6'10 and I'm like oh yes I am she's like excellent you'll get this role or you'll get a, a role, but I'll, I'll let you, I'll make sure you get one of the main roles. I'm like, awesome, that's super exciting, but what what movie is this? I just told it was some sci-fi film. She was like, you have, you have no idea? And I was like, no, not a clue. And she's like, follow me. And she, we went through this little kind of passageway of doors, and I'm kind of walking past and seeing people, and they're kind of making stuff, and I'm not really paying attention because she's just jabbering on. And we go into this one room, and there's this massive box. And I'm looking inside, or looking at it, and I'm going, what on earth is she about to show me? And she kind of clips this door, and it's almost like a vacuum pack, like this pressure release. And as she opens it up, I see the original Chewbacca suit from the, the first three movies. And I'm just mouth open, just, what is it? She's like... This is the original suit we're making a replica for of to update it, which is like, you're going to be a Wookiee in the new Star Wars. And I just about jumped and I was so excited. And so I did the audition and uh, proved that I was over 6'10 and mine was the first. So it took six months to make this suit. So every now and then during the season, I'd have to go up for another fitting. Um and mine was mine was the first one to be complete, and uh, so they they kind of put me in full costume and um, put makeup on my eyes and were taking pictures and um, they uh, they kind of were, were filming me walking around and I went up behind uh, this uh, production person who was making these tiny little dolls on this kind of conveyor belt of uh, little animals. I went up behind her and put put my mouth right over her shoulder in this costume and I could op open the mouth with my jaw and I just did I kind of went hey and she turned around and I just did this massive roar and all she saw was this Wookiee face with sharp teeth right next to hers and she burst into tears and tore this Wookiee or tore this little toy that she'd be making apart and just ran just crying and they filmed this whole thing and the whole place just erupted and they sent this footage to George Lucas and based on that I think there were six of us and he was just going to have us in the background of a scene but based on kind of that footage he kind of rewrote the script so we'd have a bigger part 
And so uh, when I was playing in New Zealand, they, they flew me back um, for a week or so and uh, we filmed our scenes. So that and was Star Wars. not only that, there's a plastic toy. There is. I've got my own action figure. So what I wanted at the end of the movie, I was like, okay, I want to do three things. A, I want to not be on the cutting room floor. I want to actually be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, if I could make the, the movie trailer, that would be fantastic. And three, if I could have an action figure. That'd be awesome. And we were, I was playing in Europe um, and I was in the weights room and this trailer comes on and sure enough, the scene where I kind of run to the top of this barricade is in the trailer. So you just saw a 6'11 guy running around this public gym just shouting. Um, and then we were flying back, we were flying through Singapore and the movies, they've already got the merchandise out and there's uh, my character on the, on the shelf. You've got one of those, obviously. I've got a couple. So one we, we opened, um, and it's got a, a staff, and it's got a little blaster gun. And I said to my wife, and I was like, oh, my son, who's just he's just a kid. He loses toys and finds toys. And I was like, if he loses any part of this, within three hours he'd lost the blaster or something. So I've got the other one that's going to stay in the plastic. Uh, be one of those. Are they still toys. available? Yeah, you can find them Collectors on collectors' items. eBay, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, You've also got your own page on IMDb. I do indeed. Yes, amazing. Yeah, I think they've they've incorrectly credited me with being in uh, Bill a and Ted's of Excellent Adventure, <laughs> yeah. Flight of the Navigator, Twins, and TV series Grange Hill. I I didn't know you. <laughs> I didn't know you were uh, so prolific. I, it's funny. I get and <laughs> I, I get what you call fan mail from Star Wars. So Nigel um, from. Devon in England, he'll talk about his son is a huge fan. No, it's Nigel who's 35 and he's a super fan. Um, so I'll get things that I'll get to sign. I also get fans of Grange Hill who are like, oh, you're my favourite. And they think I was in this. I don't have no idea. I, I, Grange Hill sounds like it's one of those teen drama type shows. But yeah, I think. So I'm intrigued. They've yeah. got your nickname there. Is that true or is that, did they just. John Malkovich. Oh gosh, I, I, I hadn't seen. So that. your nickname's John Malkovich, which I think <laughs> probably go with the bald. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I'll, I'll take that. He's he's an awesome actor, and I, I love all of his films. So I'll take that. Um, no further offers of film roles. You know what? There was as one of those sliding doors situations. I was playing with the Melbourne Tigers. And I was driving to on the a three-year air- contract. On a three-year contract, yeah. and and this that three-year contract plays a part. I thought it would. Yes. So um, I was driving to the airport, and I got a call from the same casting agent who uh, I dealt with for Star Wars, and she asked what I was doing, and I said, "Oh, I'm on my way to the the airport. How come?" She was like, "Oh, we're we're making a new trilogy of uh, kind of science fiction films. We're just wondering what your availability is." And I think I was halfway through, and in my mind, I was playing pretty well, and we were going to make finals, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I've, uh, I'm halfway through the first year of a three-year deal. It's just it's just bad timing. Um, what uh, What's what's the trilogy? And she said, oh, we're just looking for someone to, uh, to be the kind of motion capture uh, actor for Optimus Prime in the new Transformers movies. And I kind of put my head down. I was like, "Oh, all right, yeah, sorry. I'm just, I'm just booked up for the next few years." 
And sure enough, two months later, I'm unavailable, or I am available for the next two years. Um, Did you ring them back? I, I called them back, and they'd, <laughs> they'd, they'd moved on. Um, yeah, so, and I think back, and I was like, would I have, knowing what you can get paid for movies compared to basketball in Australia, I would have hung up my boots in a heartbeat. Early. Gone over. And I think, yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Nothing since then? There was uh, Alien Covenant, who were looking for tall players, um, but I just started a new job at an agency and I couldn't take four months off, so that was another one. But oh, the the, uh, the Star Wars Force Awakens, there was the call to go and play uh, the original Chewbacca's um, stuntman, um, but that would have been moving across to the UK for six months, and my wife said, no, you can go. I'll just be with the kids back home in my hometown of Wollongong so you can visit us. And I was like, right, probably won't be doing that then. Now, not having ever seen Star Wars Episode Three, right? did Miru Miru make it through to the end of the movie alive? I suspect he did not. I think I led them into uh, battle and ultimately their, their defeat was guaranteed. If, uh, if Chewie was a... I think Chewie's backstory, he was a prisoner um, and Han Solo maybe freed him. I suspect I led them all into their demise. Well... But so I did it looking good. You, so. you still could make a comeback, though. <laughs> I could indeed. Yes. Yeah. Well, so if any Hollywood talent scouts are out there listening, uh, Axel's ready and primed to go because now that he's uh, got a more, uh, how can we say, um, advantageous position indeed. in his employment, um, he might yeah. have time freed up to do that. I'd love to. And I, a friend of mine, I've got a couple of friends who are actors in the industry, so every now and then I'll just see what they're up to. But... As I said, I'd, I'd, if there's a role going for a tall uh, henchman or someone who can uh, be easily disposed of, I'm, uh, I'm ready and available. Thanks for listening to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend. Our next podcast will feature former rugby league star Luke Lewis. Mm-hmm.